Welcome to QAV, everybody. This is uh, episode 443. We're recording this on Monday, the 25th of October, 2021. With me, as always, uh, my uh, Yoda, Tony Kynaston in Sydney. How are you, uh, Sifu? Am I good? Good. (laughs) (laughs) Am I? Am I good? Doesn't Yoda say the... Sentences backwards. Oh, good am I? Yes. Mm, good am I? Like that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, no, I'm great. And uh, that's good. You enjoying your freedom down I, there in Sydney? Starting to, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a real desensitization process. I'm sort of slowly getting out there in the world again. It's, um, but it's quite confronting. Mm. No one's wearing masks. Everyone's doing their thing. Mm. Mm. I haven't been able to get that hair appointment yet, I see. Tomorrow at 2.30. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Big day. Big Man. day. And with us also from uh, Sydney is uh, Louise Bedford. Welcome to the show, Louise. It's so good to see you both. So good to see you too. Uh, now, Louise, uh, I'm sure most people in uh, the investing community in Australia know Louise. We had her uh, partner, Chris Tate, on the show. We just worked out in April 2020, just as the COVID cough was starting to hit us. She's a well-known author, founder of Talking Trading, uh, known as the Candlestick Queen, which I thought was an ABBA song, but uh, it was a different... I think that one, there was, there was a, like a deep cut on a B-side uh, somewhere there, the Candlestick Queen. How are things going for you, uh, Louise? Are you enjoying your freedoms? Oh, look, I just find that it always takes us a while to change gears, but I'm very much looking forward to and very optimistic about what's coming next year. It's been a pretty rough 18 months, but really, let's just kiss that goodbye and look into the future. Hasn't been rough for us in Queensland, I have to say. We've had a great time. Uh, we don't know what we're all complaining about. It's been fine up here. <laughs> oh no, bunch of whingers down south. So, Louise, um, we've got a lot of stuff to talk to you about uh, today. But one of the things that we uh, thought we'd kick off with is something that we've talked a bit about on the show before. And you're a great person to um, guide us in this area. We've often wondering why a relatively small percentage of the listeners of our podcast are ladies. And, you know, I've seen a fair fair amount of research out there saying that uh, women don't tend to be active investors as much as men are. Do you think that's true? Look, I'd love to say that women are absolutely going head to head with the guys in terms of numbers, but currently we're just not. So if we look at the traders in my trading group through tradinggame.com.au, we've got about 70% male traders, 30% female traders. But the interesting thing is that the women are outperforming the men. Mm, we've heard that. We've heard that women statistically tend to get better results than men. Why is that, do you think? I think there's a few reasons. Firstly, I mean, once we become that 50-50 level with parity between men and women in terms of numbers, then perhaps this effect will dry up a little bit based on this characteristic. But I think the people who are very much the forward-thinking female, the ones who have a big purpose and a big ambition and maybe even a few extra IQ points are the ones going into the markets first. So that 30% that are in my database, when you look at them from a world view in terms of their own experiences, they're slightly better paid than the average, they're more ambitious, they're more focused. And I do think that does help, but there are quite a few different reasons. 
as Donald Trump would say, you're sending us your best. You're sending <laughs> your best women in there to invest. I do think so. And another one of the reasons I feel has to do with women's lack of confidence around this. We know it's a male domain. I've been trading since 1990 and when I got started, I used to go down to the stock exchange and there'd just be little old me and I'd look down a line of men with their navy blue suits and their ties and I'd look up the other line and there was just testosterone everywhere. So I think really what we're looking at is that women know they're going into a field where they traditionally haven't been welcome even and they have to really take that into account. There's an aspect called stereotype threat, which is when a particular minority knows that people have a stereotype concept around them, that they unfortunately are likely to fulfill that concept by the things they do and say. So women having that lack of confidence in a lot of ways, I think it actually works in their favor. Sure, they do feel a little bit unnerved. They take longer to put on their first trade. They need more direction where they feel like they have to ask more questions. But the good thing is they do their research. They're conservative. They don't dive in and they really take their time to examine every single trade that comes across their desk. You think they're not as susceptible to sort of, um, I don't know, sort of wanting to wanting uh, wanting to look good, wanting to look like a, a big dog. You know, I think men get sucked in a lot easier to you know being able to you know, uh, brag to their mates about how good their portfolio's doing and how much their Bitcoin's gone up in the last month and did you buy the dip and all that kind of stuff. Are women less interested in that kind of chest-beating aspect of investing, maybe? Ego-driven pursuits, I hear what you're saying. I think that does have something to do with it. Interestingly as well is that men often trade a lot more than women. So women are waiting for the perfect setup, the perfect execution, and then they act, whereas the guys are going to move forward even if they're not as confident. This actually also mirrors itself when you look at the HR personnel type of environment. Women are less likely to go for that job unless they have already done that job before, whereas a man only has to know 70% of that new role for him to say, of course I can do it. What do you mean? I've never flown a plane before. I'm sure I can do it. I've done it in the simulator. Give me a shot. How hard can it be? <laughs> exactly. It sounds to me like it's a bit like marriage. Like I've been married three times, but my wife, Chrissy, uh, waited until she found me. So she waited till she, you know, found the best, and then she did. I, 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 I sort of had a couple of, you know. Uh, That's a beautiful thing. Trial runs. Yeah. yeah Isn't that interesting? Well, look, I think we need to get your your wife on the show, and then I can ask her some questions on your behalf. Well, she keeps saying she's going to listen to the podcast, but she's been saying she's going to listen to my podcast for 13 years and uh, <laughs> hasn't yet. So we'll see how that goes. Tony, uh, do you have any intelligent, more intelligent questions than I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean, this is kind of a, an interesting discussion because like, you feel like we're reinforcing stereotypes just by having it. You know, like the, my, my first question was, is there a difference between the genders in terms of their approach to numeracy? You know, so the men tend to either 
be trained or have a, a different grasp of numbers, which is, I guess, a requirement for investing that um, women may not have. That's a bit uh, harder to answer. We don't yeah. actually have data in relation to this. A lot of the information that I'm providing for you is based on a couple of different studies. Terence and it's Odine and Barber, they are the ones that actually put together a massive longitudinal study about men versus women. I actually replicated almost the exact same results of that study in 2019 based on 2,000 traders, nearly 1,983 traders. And we looked at their own results based on gender, whether they took a particular amount of time to put on a trade, how long they took educating themselves about the markets prior, quite a few different metrics. So your question is a little bit more difficult. It's outside the scopes of the research that I'm more familiar with. So I guess whatever the reasons are, what can we do about evening up the score between the genders when it comes to investing? Well, I think the first thing is for the women to note that the men are not outperforming. So having that bit of knowledge is a good thing. And men can learn from women in quite a few different ways. The guys that I have a look at so many trading plans, I've literally looked at thousands of trading plans, and the guys who actually take their time have a little bit more, I guess, of a breath, of a pause before they dive on in. They're the ones who end up on top. So I don't think it's necessarily a question of one gender being better than another. I don't think it's a war or men versus women. I think it is who you are. The people with the best self-knowledge are the ones who come out on top. The people with the best self-knowledge, what, what do you mean by that exactly? Usually, the people who have done the most self-work are the ones who make the most money. Currently, I'm training a recovered alcoholic. He had his last drink, I'd say, 30 years ago. But because of his past, he has got such a strong background with knowing who he is, knowing his flaws, knowing his strengths, knowing the areas that can act as a trigger for impulsive behavior, understanding where that obsessive compulsive drive comes into it, that his trading results are so pure. And I see it time and time again. The people who know the most about themselves, who understand themselves, are the ones who have the bank balances that just keep on growing and growing. So it's, it's almost not a gender thing, but much more a resistance to an impulse thing. And habit forming, I think also. So often with habits, we're trying to develop good healthy habits, but why are we trying to do that? The way that I think of it is that we're trying to develop those habits so that we can free up mental resources so that when we get a shock from the markets or if there's something that requires creative thinking, we have enough bandwidth to be able to process that extra stimulation. So I've got a couple of degrees. Does that help me trade the markets? No, no, no. But I can tell you what it does do is it makes you feel like you can do things and that can be difficult. Because the halo effect for medicos, for engineers, for people who think they know what they're doing in their own occupation can infiltrate into the share market. People's egos can take over. And before you know it, you've got a medico having put on five trades saying that they rule the world. So we do have to watch that as well. Yeah, good. So 
Let me just, I just have a question about terms here. So when you talk about trading, do you, how do you define that term? Anybody putting any money into the market. So it can be that you're a longer term investor. It can be that you're in a position for five years, or it could be somebody, I personally don't day trade and there isn't as much money in day trading, let's face it. But some people do like that short term end of the market. Interestingly, the facts show that that medium term level tends to derive the most profit. The medium term, so like uh, what would be the average holding for a medium term investor? Between 12 weeks and about 30 weeks, that would be considered medium term. The boundaries are somewhat fuzzy, there is no doubt. But if you look at that, I think that'll give you a good perspective. The short-term trading, looking at everybody's results as they come come across my computer screen, I can see with short-term trading, some people hold a position for four hours and maybe up to two weeks. That could be considered short-term. And of course, the longer term would be over that 40, 30-week mark. So you run a, a trading game simulation where you gather these statistics, do you? I run surveys into my client base, yes. Right, okay. So that's the thing, having a background in psychology, you treat all of the people in your life like little rats in a maze and you start to ask <laughs> questions about their performance. So I think I've carried that over throughout the years and my beautiful community of traders have been quite tolerant with me making them jump through those hoops. So you must have built a profile then of what a good trader is, whether they're male or female. What, what, what are some of the key aspects besides impulse control? Because you said before about OCD, uh, I actually think that, that some of the, you know, I think investing suits someone who's a little bit OCD. I know with, with myself, I'll often get, go down the rabbit hole, I call it, either looking at numbers or thinking about um, something new and trying to work out how to, you know, use it or turn it to, to an advantage is, is, I see it as being a positive. What uh, you, what kind of things come out in your profile around that? Well, let's have a look at how this is actually defined. So the obsessive part of OCD is usually to do with unwanted thoughts. The compulsive thought is, is to do with actions. So we've got obsessive for thoughts, compulsive for actions, and D is your issue, disorder. So Unless you've been professionally qualified to be able to give that diagnosis, you can't actually say you've got OCD. But if you have got unwanted thoughts and that's creating repetitive actions, then you do probably need to seek some sort of help, some sort of structured program through cognitive behavioral therapy to assist. But in terms of what your probable question is where you're looking at the implications of that structure, the routine, the ability to go through one to two to three in terms of a list. All of those are terrific qualities. In fact, I'm married to an engineer. My engineer trading friend here just beside me, he just took this up and ran with it. Took him a while to do because every single I had to be dotted, but his results were outstanding from a very early stage. So even though what you're referring to, there are aspects of OCD in a lot of people who have a good trading track record. It's not actually the disorder part that is driving that behavior. Yeah, sure, you're right. I'm certainly not using the psychological term, I guess, to describe uh, that behavior. But, but certainly, you know, some aspects of it, the, att the attention to detail, the ability to focus and concentrate for a long time, I think is important in, um, in being able to invest or trade. 
Oh, I, I, I can't. I actually have a bit of a. I actually have a bit of a problem using the word trade. I, I, I prefer to call it investing, and that just might be me. But um, you know, I see it as being, as far as the stock market goes, we're buying parts of companies and and uh, trying to identify which companies we want to be a part of, rather than moving tokens around the board. We can definitely call it investing. I think the difference between trading and investing is that traders, and in your definition of investing, I think it would be the same, they analyze, they start with the end in mind, and they're prepared to exit a position. So if you're already of that mindset where you're not going to be wedded to that share, it's not going to be something that you're going to end up dying and leaving in a portfolio as a legacy, you're prepared to sell it. That's where I'm talking about trading regardless of the time frame. But let's call it investing. We want to keep you comfortable, don't we? <laughs> Are you paying attention, Cameron? Here, let's see how I'm being treated by another podcaster. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I did interrupt you before, Louise. What What are some other aspects of uh, that make a good investor slash trader that you've been able to profile over the years? One of the major concepts behind successful traders is that they have a persistence and a willingness to just jump through those hurdles. The difficulty with a lot of people in the civilian world, like if we just say the civilian world, are the non-traders and investors, whereas we're actually on the pointy end, we're the action takers. People give up so easily, don't they? They just chase shiny objects, they throw money away, they do things without foresight. And that is not what we need as an investor. We need to stay fixed to the one concept and follow it through. We need to work on a written trading plan or an investing plan that covers our entry, our exit, and how much money to place into each position. So if we've got that professional view from the beginning, we are stacking the odds in our favor and just probably one extra thing that I think is really relevant. The majority of traders that I've trained who are really kicking goals, there is a reason within them why they want to trade. And it has to be a good reason, something that will keep them going when things get tough. If the markets are throwing signals and they're getting confused and overwhelmed and their life is in disarray, they still know at their core, at their identity level, that they are an investor and that can hold them true and keep the course until they actually succeed. I think that is very much underestimated as a personal quality in terms of success seeking. Yeah, look, I'd agree. I think the old saying, if you don't, uh, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything holds true in the market. You've got to have an approach or a system or a framework. And, and stick to it and, and only move away from it under extreme circumstances and, and hopefully not ever. Uh, otherwise you will flap in the wind. And it's one of the things that we see with uh, some of our um, listeners that they are, I guess, trying us out or, uh, or trying our system out. Um, they're still wedded to other ones. They still sort of play the field in terms of subscribing to lots of newsletters and uh, podcasts and things like that. And, um, Whilst I wouldn't be critical of that, um, you, it, hopefully it's a transitory stage because you really can't. So you wouldn't ride be critical of that. See, you know, Tony, I would be. I would question why you need five hundred different sources. The more effective traders, I think, follow mentors that have similar values and a common direction 
rather than ones that are actually all over the place because those mentors, even the podcast hosts, if they're not aligned with their values, they're going to end up confusing your people. So actually, on on your behalf, I will speak critically (laughs) of people who have more than three or four people that they're listening to about the markets. It's very difficult for beginners to know what crud is. You know, I'd like to use a stronger word there, but I guess there's going to be children listening somewhere. So I do think we have to be very careful about the sources that we allow into our minds. People watch the news far too much and they wonder why they're sad and depressed and all they can think about is COVID. Yeah, look, it's a good, it's a, it's a good point. I, I'm glad you make it. Uh, I guess I'm, I agree with you. Uh, that when I'm saying I'm being less critical, I think. You're I think, magnanimous. The, I am not, well, I, I'm not as magnanimous. <laughs> You're probably taking the higher road there, but I do want people to question that. It's not, it's not just that. It's that I think that this is the point I was going to make. I think people are on different stages of their journey. And, and one of the things I think keeps the civilians out of investing is the education is so poor and so, narrowly held. Um, you really have to seek it out in our society. No one, no one taps you on the shoulder when you're 15 and says, Hey, this is, uh, this is what you really should be focusing on because it'll set you up for life. Uh, they, they don't. They, um, you know, go and play football, go and, uh, go and learn accounting or go and, you know, do some maths. And, um, that's all good, but, uh, it's been such an important part of my life to be set up financially that, uh, I think it should be the first thing that's taught in schools, but it's not. Yeah, I completely agree. I do think we do have a reputation in Australia as ripping down tall poppies also. So we have to be really cognizant of the wealth mindset that we're transmitting, not only to the next generation, but also to our friends, because we are a product of the people that are closest to us. So I do think we have a bigger ripple effect that we're responsible for than most of us realize. Yeah, look, I think I agree. It's, it is an interesting part of Australian culture to, you know, to not flaunt your wealth and, and to not, you know, I, I try and keep a low profile in terms of how much we're worth and and uh, our experiences. Although you know, it's been it's been quite a journey for me to come out and talk about all this stuff on uh, in, in public. How, how much is that again, Tony? Sorry, you're breaking up, Cameron. I think one of the um, one of the interesting parts of of that psychological journey was reading a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Oh, absolutely. I love that book. Where, yeah, so do I, which is, um, you know, probably more in tune with our culture, which is the the person who might have all the money may not show it. They might just be driving yeah. a Subaru uh, and you know, going to the shops to Coles and Woolies like you do every week. So, yeah, that was interesting. But, yeah, good, good. I mean, good point. Good. There are cultural aspects to this and, and just as there are gender aspects to it, I think, I think, and I think the other thing though is there are educational aspects to it. And it's, it's how do you, how do you hunt that? Whether you're a female or a male or a civilian or what, how do you hunt down and find that door, the right door to go through? One door number one, door number two or door number three, because one of them is going to lead to a, a really nice life and the other two are going to lead to pulling your hair out probably. Well, I think you have to be quite refined with your search. When you're looking for a mentor, you need to see that they've had longevity in the markets, that other people trust them. Ideally, you'd become in touch or familiar with some of the people that they've trained already. Have they got testimonials? Can you actually talk to those people? And when they're asked a question out of left field, can they answer it? You know, what is their breadth of knowledge? I think it's really important if you ask a question, 
question and the person that you're asking it to doesn't know that they don't just make up an answer, that they say, that's interesting, I'll research that instead of just feeling that ego pressure to answer. So that's, I think, a really important part about being a beginner trader looking for a values match, looking for that ideal Venn diagram where you've got that beautiful overlap with experience and knowledge and making sure that the people that you're trusting have those skills to be able to take you on to the next step. And of course, the other aspect is do they even care? You know, we need people who are going to nurture us, who are going to look after us, who are going to personally guide us. And that's why I love what you guys do. You're putting out free resources to help traders and that shows a magnanimous quality of spirit there that so few mentors actually possess. Well, thank you. So, so who are your mentors, Louise? Who did you find that you matched up most with when you first started? Look, I was extremely lucky to have Dr. Harry Stanton on my team from quite a young trading age. Harry, if you don't know Harry, he's the author of Let the Trade Winds Flow. He recently passed away. He was a guiding light in my life since the age of 15 when I first read his book, The Plus Factor. My sister gave me his book. I was at the normal teenage 15-year-old, you know, I was ready to fly off the handle. I wanted to run away from home and my sister gave me the book. She said, read this book. If you read it and you still decide to run away from home and leave school, you can come and live with me. But if you don't read it, then you're on your own. Isn't that good for tough love? So Harry Stanton eventually joined the share market as well as a trader and I became good friends with him in the 90s. So to have that guiding light snuffed out, I mean, he was quite a mature man by the time, but just it was never long enough. He had such a mind and was a constant source of encouragement for me. I'm not familiar with Harry Stanton. What kind of investor is he? He loved options. He traded with candlesticks, um, but he def definitely had that medium-term type of view as well for his standard portfolio. He's a psychologist that helped high-performance people, so whether it be traders or Olympians, he helped people quit smoking. He just had such a wealth of knowledge. And his book, Let the Trade Winds Flow, what a spectacular book and what a, an honour it was for me to be able to rewrite that book for and with him just in the last few years. So that is one of my, I feel, big life work goals to have helped a mentor. That's lovely. Lovely to hear your passion, Louise, too. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Who have you got for mentors? Me. Tony, Tony comes to me with all of his, uh, with all of his big life questions, particularly this. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. It's a little known, yeah. little known. Little known yeah, fact. I'm Cameron's yeah. grasshopper. He keeps telling me to take the pebbles from his hand. I just can't quite get there yet. Well, it's good to know that you've got your, your levels there as well, that you've checked out your mentor very carefully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, my, my mentor would be uh, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger uh, in the main, and then people who flow from there from the value side of investing. Beautiful. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about candlesticks, uh, Louise? You know, Tony would, would would know a lot about them, obviously, but for people like myself that are new to investing, 
Uh, I've never really used candlesticks. Can you give a, can you give me a, a quick uh, pricey on how you use candlesticks? Absolutely. Well, look, we have to fix this, don't we? My goodness, Cameron, you, you really, as soon as we're off this call, you have to go to your next chart and switch it over to red and green candlesticks for me and have a look because you'll see in uptrends, green is the color of growth and that means money's pouring into that share. People are loving it. They can't get enough of it. It's actually a depiction of emotion in that share chart, looking at those green candles. And then what about when it flips over? All of a sudden, money is bleeding out of that share chart and you've got red candles on the way down. So firstly, you've got the ability to analyze the color and then in a more close micro way, you've got the ability to look at specific candlestick patterns. They tell you when the sentiment is likely to change. They give you a guide when to enter a position as a retracement trade. And for short-term trading, they're a beautiful entry signal as well. So you can use them across any time frame, but ideally you're using it just as a trigger. You also want a setup to be based on weight of evidence. And Tony, why don't you use candlesticks? What? Sacrilege. Um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> uh, well, my um, my uh, my uh, saying is, if the only people who make money out of charts are uh, sea captains and map makers, uh, so <laughs> we do. That's not fair because we do use um, a very very simple entry and exit system that I call three point trend lines, which is just really looking at the High points and low points is on the ranges and, and using those as exit and, and uh, entry points. Um, I've, I spent a lot of time investigating, uh, technical analysis. Um, and, uh, yeah, really, really found that, uh, the, well, okay. Since we're, since we're being straight talking, I, I, I'll call it the astrology of the scientific world of investing. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> not, not a hocus pocus. Well, I would like to challenge you on that. I think a lot of value investing is terrific in terms of which shares to get involved with, but technical analysis can tell you when. So you can combine the two. It doesn't have to be an either or. Be careful about that binary thinking because that can end up depriving you of hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I would suggest you question your views on that. I would love to be able to be the one to say, question it because there's money in there for you if you look at it in the correct way. So I think the mistakes people make with charts, and I do agree with you to some extent, is that they think that it's like tea leaves. They don't use a trading plan to guide their decisions. That investing mindset, everything they're talking about being conservative and taking their time and being very executive function oriented, all of that goes out the window and they just go, hey, the magic of the chart, that's not where we need to be at all. This is a part of a structured, routine-based, focused method of trading where it is more akin to that engineering mindset than it is to the astrology mindset. No, look, I accept that. We do use charts ourselves all the time to to buy and exit them, but I try and keep it as simple as possible and, and stay away good. from the mm. the oscillating waves and the Dow theories and all those kinds of things. 
Yeah. Yeah, now I'm hearing you. I think the majority of traders who complicate things, they forget that when the markets are open, our IQ drops by about 50%. So we really do need to have a simple system that we can execute time and time again without question. If you can maintain that as your focus where you have that detachment from the results and you just do the same thing again and again based on a system of entry, exit and position sizing, you're going to be in the top 5% of traders. It's always easier said than done, but listening to resources like this, that can help reinforce it time and time again. It's like vitamin C. You keep on needing to get that fix to be told you're on the right path. No, it's good. I mean, it's exactly right. I mean, the psychology of it's very important. Cameron and I were talking about it a couple of weeks ago, but uh, he sort of moved into a new mode of thinking when he was talking about his investing where it was more like a game rather than uh, being emotionally attached to the money that was involved. And I think that's a really important step change in someone's progress through trading. And there's a, num- there's a number of, of step changes like that psychologically where you do remove yourself from the bear pit, I guess, of, and, um, and you know, the impact that something might have if it goes against you, for example, and, and, and focus on the process and, and the game of it rather than the uh, the dollars involved. I think that's... Mm, levels there are in <laughs> investing. Mm. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. We need to stop looking at the outcome, even though that is, of course, why we're trading. And we need to look at that process and make sure that any of the variables that we change, we only change one thing at a time. So the thing I think I see a lot of traders do without that specificity of action is that they say, okay, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, I'll change it all and then I'll see what happens. Unless you have that scientific approach of changing only one thing at a time, you will end up not knowing why you made the money on the other end. Right, yeah. And and uh, I certainly think that um, modelling and regression testing has been a big part of my um, investment journey. They're very important skills to have as well to, to be able to test that controlled variable and see what happens. Absolutely. And to also, when you're going through that backtesting, don't switch off your emotions. Imagine if you were in that trade, how you would feel if you were stopped out at that point. Imagine how you would feel if the share kept on going up after you were out. Try and put yourself in the position. There's a concept called the post-mortem. Have you heard of that? Well, I know what post-mortems are and certainly Ah, (laughs) those in business. Yeah, post-implementation reviews for sure. Yeah, so this is a and this is a technique, a game, if you like, that you can play. It's a really cool thing to do when you're involved with any project that's looming ahead of you and seems very high impact. I'll give you an example. Before I started talking trading, which is the podcast that I run, as you know. What we did is we got together with the team that was going to launch it and we said, imagine we are one year down the track. Talking trading has just died in a screaming heap and we all hate each other's guts. Now, everybody write down on a piece of paper why, what were the preceding conditions that created this devastating impact. And it was fascinating to read because the problems that all of us revealed on our pieces of paper were exactly the things that happened. But because we'd pre-considered how to get out of that situation, that actually meant all the difference. We already had those tools available to help us overcome those difficulties. Traders should do this too. 
when you're starting out in a trading career, whether it's a full-time trader or whether you're just doing this on the side, have a think about in one year's time, if everything goes just haywire, why would that be? Could it be because you didn't have a mentor? Could it be because you didn't listen to enough podcasts like this so you lost the belief? And these are the three areas that it usually is system, psychology, or maintenance. Which of those three are your weak point? And if you know it, how do you actually scaffold your way into helping yourself become the best trader you can be in that specific area? Yeah, I think maintenance is probably the most important one that people overlook a lot of. We had a a listener dinner in Melbourne and I was asked what's the most important thing and I said you guys got to realize that uh, you'll be doing this for the rest of your life and and they sort of everyone went quiet and as it sort of sunk in that this wasn't just something they'll try for two weeks and then move on somewhere else if they're serious they've got to keep doing it every day every week every month every year and that's where burnout can come into play you know trading is such a high performance endeavor that I think it is subject to so many of the emotional foibles of other high performance endeavors. We think that just because it's a little thing on the side, that how hard can that be? But actually, we do have to self-protect in terms of how much time we're putting in, the decision fatigue that we're encountering, and the lack of support sometimes (laughs) that we can encounter. No, no, you got to No, 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 Louise. I told you, I paid you fifty dollars. You got to tell Tony he's going to be putting in more time, more effort. Don't scare him off, Louise. He's already working more now than he's worked in twenty Correct. years. Yeah, so. and less, less income. So, Tony, um, you're trending well. <laughs> yeah, the um, that, that pre-mortem idea is a really good one. We we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, based on what Charlie Munger says about inverting things. If you want to, and his quote is, if you want to. Um, if you want to help India, first of all, work out how to hurt India. Yes. Well, you know, you reduce the sanitation, you keep everyone in their caste system, and that tells you what you need to do to improve things. So it's a similar sort of concept of inverting. What, what could go wrong and how do we guard against it? And from a trading perspective, just a really quick inversion that you can do, if you've got the type of software that lets you flip your chart, if you are still long when you flipped your chart, there's a problem because you're barracking for it to go up when it's upside down. So that can be an interesting little mind check. If you can invert your charts, invert them and then do the analysis and see what comes out of that. So you're saying be led by the analysis rather than where the chart's going? Absolutely. You should be detached enough to be able to take the signals that are actually occurring rather than the ones you wish were occurring. Yeah, good point. Well, I think we should wrap it up, Louise. Uh, we've got to get into some Q&A, but thank you so much for coming on. I Unfortunately, I can't take your advice regarding candlesticks because you told me earlier to have one mentor and listen to him, and that's Tony. So you have to convince Tony <laughs> about candlesticks and because I just do whatever he tells me to do, uh, and so far it works okay. But um, terrific uh, to have you on, um, and uh, just tell people out there if they want to hear your podcast where to go? Come and visit me for my podcast at talkingtrading.com.au. But also, especially because I know this will combine well with the things that you're already learning, come to tradinggame.com.au, tradinggame.com.au, and download my free trading plan template. And I'll even send you my trading made simple audio five-part course and I know you'll love it very complimentary with what you're already doing 
Well, thanks very much, Louise. Enjoy your uh, freedoms and uh, the rest of your afternoon. Have Absolute a nice one. pleasure. Thanks, Louise. Look forward to having you back on sometime too. Well, that's all the time we have this week in the free edition. Uh, for people who are subscribed to the club edition, we had another 45 minutes of podcast where we talked about the three top performing stocks in our portfolio last week. We talked more about market open prices and after hour trades and why it can often look like the closing price on one day doesn't match the opening price on the next day. Tony spoke to his broker of 30 years, Alex Hay from uh, Bailey's, about how that can happen. We talked about EWC's qualified audit. Uh, our deep dive or pulled pork, as we call it this week, was on ECX. We talk about AIS and their limited mine life, why Nevexa seems to report that we didn't sell some old historic stocks quickly enough, AZJ sell line and their recent acquisition news, uh, Tony's current views on AMP, and how much of Tony's portfolio was sold off during the COVID cough. So if you're brand new, we have a free edition and a club edition each week. If you're interested in hearing more, uh, sign up for our two-week free trial on our website, qavpodcast.com.au, and you can check out the, the full episodes, plus get access to our checklist and our private Facebook club and our dinners, which are starting again now that Sydney and Melbourne are coming out of lockdown. We're going to have one in Brisbane uh, next week, I think. And uh, etc. etc. All, all the different uh, benefits and advantages you get from being a QAV club member. Well, you can just keep listening to the free episodes forever. No pressure. With that, I uh, hope you have a great week. Uh, good luck with your investing. Stay safe, and we'll be back next time. The QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129271. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.